you know, the week was a pretty great week. I mean, I say pretty, it was, it was absolutely amazing. We were excited about it. And one of the, the wonderful things about VBS is getting to be a part. You know, I, I get a chance to minister to adults all the time. But it's hard to get in and get involved with the kids, and I really enjoy that part of it. I realized something this week. I'm getting older, and man, they are more energized than me. And so I, I realized I have limitations that I did not used to have. And I'm like, man, I was wore out of an afternoon. I was like, man, I'm tired. I know people tell me that I'm not yet old, and I said, man, I do not want to get there then because if if it gets worse, watch out. But but this week they learned a lot of powerful powerful stories from the scriptures, and they followed the life of Peter through. And so I, I felt it appropriate to pick a passage that was right in the middle or right in the vein of, of some of their study today or, or this week. And so today we're going to look at that in John chapter 21. So if you want to turn your Bibles with me to John chapter 21, beginning at verse number one, we'll read through the, the first 10 verses of this chapter. So when you find those scriptures, if you would stand in honor of God's word. John chapter 21, verse number 1, says this. After these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias. And in this way, he showed himself. Simon Peter, Thomas, called the twin, Nathaniel of Canaan and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. They said to him, we are going with you also. They went out and immediately got into the boat, and that night they caught nothing. But when the morning had come, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Then Jesus said to them, children, have you any food? They answered him, no. And he said to them, cast the nets on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. So they cast, and now they were not able to draw it in because of the multitude of fish Therefore, the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. And when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put out his, put on, a, excuse me, put on his outer garment, for he had removed it and plunged into the sea. But the other disciples came in the boat, for they were not far from land, but about 200 cubits, dragging the net with fish. Then as soon as they had come to land, they saw a fire of coals and fish laid on it. And bread. And Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish which you have just caught. Would you pray with me? Lord, we thank you that as we look to scriptures, we are reminded always that our life will be infinitely and summarily better. Lord, if we do our life with you and following your instruction and looking to see you in everything, we ask, Lord, that as we look to the scriptures this morning, that we'll be challenged. That we'll be challenged to run to you in all of life's circumstances, that we'll be energized to follow after you and all that we're doing. We ask for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. It's kind of an interesting scenario when you start to look at where this falls into the gospel of John because, and if I'm painting for you the greater picture, you understand that Jesus has died on the cross and he has been resurrected from the dead and his, his, his appearance to the disciples has been limited, but it has been it has been profound. Well, you get to this moment in the scriptures and you realize that, that there is a huge turning point moment for the disciples. They have dedicated their life from the time that Jesus declares his public ministry and following after him. They have decided to invest their life for a number of years in doing so. And now Jesus, who they had been following, who had been investing in them, who had been teaching them, 
has been crucified. And he has been buried. And he's been raised from the dead. And it's like, okay, now what? And in this moment, you see this kind of vast gap or void that occurs. And it happens to us in our lives at times. We are building up and working towards these important moments or milestones in our life. And when we get there, we're like, okay, now what? And there's this moment when you see this picture of Jesus introducing himself back to these disciples, and you see this cluster of of men who Jesus had called out from their daily life to go and do something different with their life, become fishers of men, and they don't know what to do. So verse number two says, Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Canaan and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. And there's this moment when I read this and I think to myself, we are not unlike Simon Peter. When we don't know what to do, we will do what we know. And that's the first point in your bulletin. We do what we know and we don't know what to do. If you're following along, you're taking notes. And there's an interesting thing about this, and this is that we are creatures of habit. Now, I don't know about you, but in my house, when somebody moves something, I notice, especially if it's something that makes my comfort more optimal, right? You know, I, there's a constant war in my house. Okay, who moved the stuff that sits on the table next to my chair? You know, the remote control or, or any number of other things. And I'm always like, and immediately I will look at my children who automatically have no knowledge whatsoever of anything that's happening. They're like, what are you talking about? We don't even live here, Dad. We don't touch things. They don't move. You are losing your mind. That's how it feels when I talk to them. Creatures of habit, right? Well, there's this picture here of Peter in this moment where he's like, I'm not sure what to do now. I'm going to do what's comfortable. I'm going to go back and be what I was. But... Isn't it profound to you that he immediately impacts and influences those around him to follow his example? So what's it say in the very next verse, or the very next line? They said to him, we are going with you also. Uh, you know, and just for, for, for speed's sake here, point number two, and you just so you see this with me, is that others will follow our example, good or bad. You know, sometimes we have bad habits that are ingrained in us. And as a pastor, what happens is I'll see people that will be so thirsty for God's word and they'll get so entangled in what Jesus has to offer them that they will want to latch on to it. But there will be this part of them that was part of their life before they knew Jesus that they don't know about getting rid of it or letting it go. And so they will struggle between the two worlds. And as a result, they'll try to cling to Jesus with one hand and they'll try to cling to the world with the other and they'll find that it is tearing them apart. And you see this moment where, where Simon and, his, and his, his friends, the other disciples, are like, we're just going to go back and do what we're comfortable with. Let's go do that. Let's just let it be like it used to be. But you will find that when you are encountering Jesus, that nothing can ever be the same. That it will never feel quite as satisfying. And, and rapidly now, before we get into kind of the meat of, of the talk, we see this moment where it says they went out and immediately got into the boat. You see how easy it was for them just to slide back to go do the thing they used to do? 
We're not fishing for men anymore, Jesus. We're fishing for fish again. This is that night they caught nothing. Look at your neighbor and say nothing. Nothing will ever be as satisfying ever, ever again, right? Point number three this morning is the old ways cannot satisfy you anymore. You see, one of the things that I have learned is that when you're holding on to trying to hold on to both things, when you're holding on to Jesus and you're holding on to the world, that when you go back to this side real closely, what you'll find is that it's empty and it's meaningless and it's shallow and it's, and it's painful at how, how little you get from it and how bad you feel about holding, trying to hold on to this at the same time. When all the while you'll realize eventually that you're not holding on to him, he's holding on to you. All the while you thought you had a grip on him, but it's quite the opposite. And that's what we see as the sermon begins to unfold for us. They're catching nothing. You know, in the, in the weeks and months and years after my, my, my genuine surrender to, to Jesus as my Savior, it became very difficult for me because my friends didn't understand that my music and that my language and that my actions were changing. And I wanted to be around them and I wanted to be with them and I wanted to do things, but they were like, dude, you are different. And so they stopped calling and they stopped inviting me and they stopped being interested and hanging out. And I would go to find them and they would have completely ghosted me. And I began to realize that it was empty to try to pursue these things and that I was, I, I, I was just trying to love them and Jesus and as a result it was causing them some kind of confusion and, and, and there's this midst of this moment. But I'm glad this story doesn't end there. That it's not like they caught nothing, the end of John. You know, it wasn't period, we wrapped the story. They went out and they just were who they were and that was the end of the story. That is not how this story ends. They caught no fish. It says, but when the morning had now come, and so they have fished all night long. Have you ever done a lot of work and received no reward? I mean, those of you that, that live in the world that I live in, you know that there is, a, there is a gamble every time you put yourself in a position to do hard work that it might result in very little. And they have worked all night. But it says Jesus stood on the shore. And in that moment, when I, when I read this, my excitement gets real energized because I, you could see Jesus in the distance just standing on the shore and he's just, he's just there in a way that is like, baffling to us. He knows where his disciples are. He knows that they're struggling. He knows that they're getting nothing from what they're trying to do. And he's just there. Now, one of the things that I told the kids earlier this week when they talked about Peter and walking on water is that when Peter doubts Jesus, he sinks, right? I said, well, one of my favorite parts of that story is that he was never outside of the reach of Jesus. Jesus was right there to rescue him as soon as he doubted. Jesus is right here in this story, while they're struggling. Are you struggling at what you're doing right now because you're holding too much to the world and, and trying too much to do what you used to do instead of what you should be doing now? And realizing that, that you might be getting nothing as a result. And you're thinking, man, if I could just outwork my stupidity, if I could just outwork this problem, if I could just outwork this next scenario, I can make a result in this. And all the while, Jesus is just watching you from the shore. It says, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. If you were not aware, Jesus is present, even if you don't see him. 
He sees you. He knows you. He understands your struggle. He is intimately involved with the comings and goings of what's happening. You know, in all the story that I hear and some of the great things, we learn about habits. And and one of the things that was profound to me is that a woman tells this story, I believe in a a moth radio show, and there's a storytelling thing. I I love to listen to other people tell stories. I think telling telling stories is one of the most powerful things. Part of what, as a pastor, I love to do is just talk to people about all these things. You can't get um, me and Ted together, I mean, we'll just tell a story back and forth to each other like we're playing tennis. It's just great. Uh, earlier this week, my son was like, can we go? But, but there's this moment in this woman's life where she had been raised in faith. And in her home, their faith was, was Judaism. She was Jewish. But she had long since abandoned her faith. Now, I realize that intrinsically there are some differences between Judaism and Christianity. But I want to speak to you of her habits. Because in the course of her life, she had abandoned her walk with God, abandoned her family's ritual and customary religious beliefs and behaviors, and had decided to live her life. And in doing so, she pursues a life outside of of her synagogue and outside of her family and, and outside of all these things. But at a crisis moment in her life, when she loses her loved one. She has to come home. She has to deal with the family. They need to reconcile all of the important things. They need to plan services. They need to do the thing. And in doing so, in her culture, they would stay, once the public services and ceremonies are completed, they would stay inside for a number of weeks. And that when that time had concluded, they would leave the house. And they would walk around the block and it would be a public symbol to the neighborhood that it was now okay to approach the family again, that their time of grief, their private time of grief had come to a conclusion. And she tells the story from the stage and you can hear the emotion in her as she's talking about this and she's saying of herself that I was lost, but it was my habit of faith that I had from a childhood that I leaned on in that moment that I learned to do and behave in a way that reminds me of what's right to do. And she says, it was that tradition and that habit and that, that form of, of just doing the right thing, doing the thing that I was taught to do that got me through those moments of difficulty. You, you think that, that in the moments of your struggle and the ongoing problems and the turning points of your life where you are having a moment where you don't know what to do next and you're like Simon, hey, let's just go do what we've always done. It'll help us get through this next part. That you, you don't realize how how powerful it is to ingrain yourself into certain structures that don't seem like maybe they were that big of a deal on each and every single time they happen, but over the course of a lifetime, they measure up into something that is concrete and foundational and will hold you when things are hard, like going to church each and every week, like reading your Bible or praying to God on a regular basis, like seeing other believers and talking to them about the joys of their life or the sorrows of their life and just sharing your life with somebody else, and you don't realize that those small and, and, and just... Some but somewhat insignificant at times moments. But when you add them all up, what they, what they are is they're the brick and mortar that holds your house together when, when the storm comes, when the problem exists. And this is the moment when you look back, when they're struggling, they don't know that Jesus is there. But Jesus is the foundation of their life now. And in a moment, he's going to give them some, some instruction that will just guide them through the process. And isn't that what we all need, each and every one of us? We need a little bit more Jesus to give us some instruction on what to do next when we're hurting or when our life is at a turning point and we don't know what to do. 
And there's this picture here. Jesus stood on the shore. Yet his disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Then Jesus said to them, and I love the way he addresses them, children. You might be the oldest and the wisest person in here, and you might be my senior by, by twice or more of my life. But we are all still children of God. He says, have you any food? And they answer him, no. And the significance of this is, 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 is e- easily overlooked, but the magnitude of this is that even in our struggle, Jesus knows when you have very little. He knows when you have none. And he asks the question so that you can see that you have it. When you cry out to God and you're in the midst of your struggle and you say to him, Lord, we don't have anything right now. He's like, I already knew. Are you ready to follow my advice? And there's this beautiful thing because he just, he just launches into his advice. He says, cast the net on the right side of the boat. Now, I always thought this was interesting because is he talking about in terms of right and left or is he talking in terms of right and wrong? In either way, it's right. Some of you, that'll be funny later. Okay? The, the magnitude here is that Jesus knows that hard work does not always, does not always mean results. Outstanding effort doesn't always garner the accomplishment. There's a, a sensation of the divine leading us in the midst. It's okay to work hard, and we should all be about that. But man, if we're doing it without God, it's a whole lot harder than if we're doing it with God. And the magnitude of this story is, is that you see it, Jesus tells them, okay, you've been struggling all night, and we've done this dance once before, and I'm gonna tell you right where to do it. And then it will do something different. And it's, it's this, this fever pitch moment because he says it to them and because they are now foundationally leaning on their relationship with Jesus, they are no longer questioning him. They are just out of muscle reaction responding to him. So they cast and now they were not able to draw on because of the multitude of fish. Wow. Wow. I mean, the picture of them dragging the net to the shore is pretty spectacular, isn't it? What did they do differently from the previous night to this morning? The only ingredient that's different is they're listening to Jesus. This is the only ingredient that matters, by the way. The world will tell you all manner of things. The the world will look at you and say, you're struggling, give up. Your result is nothing, give in. Your result is zero. Stop working. I suggest to you that it's hard work plus Jesus equals success. Or maybe it's Jesus plus hard work is triumph. And there's a difference. Therefore, the disciple whom loved Jesus, or Jesus loved, excuse me, said to Peter, it is the Lord. And all of a sudden, they begin to realize what's happening. 
Now, when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he had removed it, and he plunged into the sea. And this picture is a picture I want you to see very vibrantly. You know, his intention of taking his garment with him is a signifying moment that he's not planning on going back to the boat. He's taking his stuff with him. Now, most of us, we think, take some things off before we get into the water because we don't want to ruin our cell phone or our car keys or whatever now because the car keys have batteries, right? He's like, no, 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 I'm not coming back. I'm running to Jesus. And I don't know about you, but is there ever a wrong time to run to Jesus? We should go to Jesus when we don't know what to do. That's point number four. I want you to see it with me. The great success of being a good fisherman has just landed upon this group of followers of Jesus. And Peter is disinterested in this success. He wants to see Jesus. So he leaves his success behind and he approaches Jesus in the only way he knows how to do it right now. And there's a, there's a turning point moment for each of us, and that is that some of us believe that we can quietly and secretly later make a deal with Jesus when it's not public. But man, if you're going to follow Jesus, you ought to look right here at this passage and say, the right time to follow Jesus is right now. To, to con be concerned not with your success and failure up till now, but to hear him calling and run to him. To, to swim out there, to go wildly to him. You know, I, I love it because when the kids learned about Peter walking on the water, that's a pretty powerful story. But man, this story, in my opinion, is bigger. Because he didn't need to walk on water here to get to Jesus. See, before he was coming to Jesus, and Jesus rescued him in his doubt, now he's just going to swim it out. He's going to make his way to Jesus, whatever it costs him wet clothes and all. And there's this beautiful picture of him running to Jesus. The other disciples, it's like, they're like, hey, we're not we're going to lose these fish. We're going to bring these fish. So they drag it up in the little boat, it says, for they were not far from the land, but about 200 cubits, dragging the net with fish. Then as soon as they had come to land, they saw the fire of coals there and fish laid on it and bread. And Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish which you have just caught. And you see the picture as Jesus asked them, do you have any food? And they're like, no. But when they get there, Jesus already has bread and fish. He's like, but you can add yours too. There's this beautiful, beautiful, harmonious picture of these things being reconciled together. Of your hard work and success that is coupled with the knowing and the following of the instruction of Jesus and sharing it in him. But none of it outshines Peter diving off of that boat, running to Jesus. You know, Ty Cobb is a famous baseball player, right? You hear that name and you know that name. Uh, years and years and years, obviously, in our history uh, of all this wonderful baseball history, you hear these really interesting stories. And one of them fascinates me, and it's one where the game had gotten so wildly one-sided and out of control that the fans had become dramatically disinterested. You know what I'm talking about? When you're, you're, just, you're just getting just clobbered. Well, Ty Cobb is standing on first base, and the base coach leans over to him, and he says, Coach wants you to step off the base and let him tag you out. Like, let's bring this thing to a conclusion. So he haphazardly steps off first base. He's like, I don't understand, but okay. And the pitcher watches what's going on, 
and realizes that he's haphazardly standing off base, and he fires that ball right to first base. And before anybody knew what was going to happen next, Ty Cobb sprints towards second. And here comes the fielder from shortstop to take second base, and the second baseman comes up, and they, they have a pickle. And they're going back and forth and back and forth and back and forth, and Ty Cobb is just going. A mishandled ball and a, and a, and a wayward throw, and Ty Cobb, the hero of his team, lands safely on second base. And later his coach is like, you were supposed to let them tag you. And he was like, my instinct said run. The world is going to tell you that this is so far gone that you should just be tagged out. Let this come to a conclusion. But if you follow Jesus, your instinct will be for life and for survival and for moving forward in victory. It will be one of of pure instinct to have muscle memory, to hear Jesus and follow his instruction and cast the net where he tells you and to, and to jump off the boat and come to him, it will be automatically ingrained in you in such a way that you will, do, you will do what's right because you follow Jesus close enough that you will know his character and his conduct and it will become your character and your conduct. So you have to make a decision this morning, church. In a moment, we're going to stand and you'll, you'll have an opportunity to respond. Are you struggling with something that you need to give up? And just say, I need to take Jesus' advice. I need to hear him clearly. Maybe you're here for the first time in such a way that you don't know Jesus like we know him, and you want to run to him today, but you're a little nervous. You can come right to me, and I will point you right at Jesus. But you might also be here, and you might have, have been a follower of Jesus for some time, but because you've been through some hard things, you're not sure what to do next. And there's some old things in you that you just want to go back and lean on. And I'm going to challenge you. Hold on to Jesus with both hands. Stop trying to balance the two. And maybe you need to come and ask Jesus to let you let go of the world. Would you stand with me today? Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Lord, we thank you that as we come into this place that we are confronted with scripture which reminds us Lord that you are watching even in our deepest and darkest moments when we struggle and we're asking Lord today that you hear our cry the one that says we don't know where to put our nets and we don't know what to do next but you do so we're asking you that for these that are present Lord those who need to run to you will run to you and ask you to help them free that loose hand from the world and just cling to you with both. Because you know, you know that we need you. And that we'll realize that you've been watching us all this while and that we're never outside of your reach. We ask for this in Jesus' name, amen.